Hey friends, this is Allison and Becky, and you're listening to Two American Bees in a Mexican Podcast. Woohoo! Hey everyone, before we tell you about today's episode, we have a couple of announcements for you. So you probably all know that Allison and I have been doing this for about eight and a half months. That's almost a baby. I know. Almost nine months. I know. Look at us. (laughs) 18 episodes. We counted them today. Woohoo. And we are going to take a break. So as my five-year-old says, Mama, you need a podcast summer vacation. We will be taking a (laughs) podcast summer vacation. I would like to point out that in nine months, we have not run out of things to say about ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got more coming. Yes, we do. We've just been planning today for our our fall. And yeah. and we still got things to say. So we'll be back. We'll be back. So we're going to take a couple of months off. Um, but we will be back around middle or end of September. We'll let you know exactly when. Yes, we will. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for um, being a part of all of this. Thanks so much. We've loved being with you and talking and going through life dilemmas together <laughs> with you. And we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear yeah. from you. We're always so shocked about who's been listening to us. And so if you've been listening to us, Write us on Instagram, which is two American peas in a Mexican pod, or you can find both of us on Facebook. I'm under Allison Brubaker Serway, and Becky's under Becky Sue Marone. Oh, on Facebook, I'm Bec- just Becky Marone. Oh, on Instagram, sorry. I'm Becky Sue Marone. Okay. Sorry. Okay. There you go. Anyway, you can find us Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. So let us know. Let us know what you think. And if you have any great ideas for what we should talk about, because we just want to keep on talking. Yes, we do. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. So in today's episode, um, as many of you know, Allison's husband battled with brain cancer. He fought hard. He fought till the end. Um, And he is now graduated to heaven. And so in today's episode, Allison is going to kind of share her her story with dealing with brain cancer and and her husband um, and his fight with brain cancer. So it's a good one and hope you enjoy it. And it's very insightful for any of you dealing with any kind of illness or a family member that's dealing with Mm -hmm. with any illness. um, It's has some really good Allison has some really good things to say about that so we yeah. hope you enjoy it and we will see you again in, in September s- Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. so Allison and I are sitting here um, remembering fun and sweet stories about Brent because we're coming up on the third anniversary of his graduation to heaven yeah um in June and June 10th, right? Yes, is that the right date? Yes, yes. It's incredible to me, but three years now. Yeah. So today, first, we're going to start by sharing some some stories <laughs> about Brent, um, but we're also going to talk about 
kind of the story of Brent's illness. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you haven't listened to Allison's story, you should probably go back. That was one of our very first episodes that we released. You should probably go back and listen to that one first. And that'll give you a big picture of Allison and Brent's story. And then today we're going to talk more specifically about their story about dealing with cancer. Um, so I guess I'll start <laughs> by sharing. This is my absolute favorite story about Brent. Brent's story. Yes, Brent's story. So I I worked with Brent for, gosh, six, five, six years, something like that. Mm-hmm. He was my boss at Agua Viva. And... He was always really encouraging. That was one of the things that I really appreciated about him is that he really tried to be encouraging to people. And we had an office that was, there was a, a few of us girls, Linda and I worked in the office and uh, we're just sitting, we were just sitting there working one day and, you know, Brent was out of the office doing something. And so he, when he got back to the office, he just out of the blue, didn't really have anything else to say, just kind of out of the blue walked to our office and looked at us and said, you know, Linda and Becky, you girls are fat cows. (laughs) (laughs) And then he turned around and he walked out. Oh my gosh. And left you hanging. (laughs) And he just left it at that. And so, (laughs) which is, uh, yeah. That's very Brent right there. Very Brent. So we called him back into the room and said, Brent, you better get back in here and explain (laughs) yourself. (laughs) Explain yourself because (laughs) we need to know what you're talking about. What (laughs) possessed you to let that come out of your mouth? Right. So he said, and I think this happened kind of a lot with Brent. He would get from point A to point F in his mind, but not explain to you point B, C, D, or E. Any of it at all. (laughs) So he had been reading the story about um joseph and the dream about the fat cows and the skinny cows and so you you know the fat cows were like the seven good years and the seven years of blessings and so that's what he was trying to be really sweet and tell us that we were like (laughs) blessings in his lives but what came out of his mouth was you are fat cows Well, I don't know how much he was trying to be sweet. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's pretty hard to think you're being sweet when you're calling someone a fat cow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was a double thing going on there. Yeah, because I have one similar, sort of similar. Okay. We had this Rottweiler dog that we loved. Oh, my gosh. She was just the best dog. She was the best dog. And her name was Maggie. And Aww, she like, I remember Maggie. Yeah, she just was the best. Yeah. And she was a Rottweiler, but I think except for the fact that she was huge and super strong, she really didn't know what she was. <laughs> she thought she was a lap dog. Aww. And she, was, and she kind, was huge. She was huge. Yeah. And she would like, when we would walk outside, she would sit on our feet so that we would stop and, you know, hug on her. <clears throat> so... One, she, but she also had this really dumb look about her, like, <laughs> like she had no brain. One day as I was eating lunch with my kids, I made a face and they both just died laughing and they <laughs> said, you just made a Maggie face, that really dumb Maggie face that she makes. And we laughed and I pretended to be mad and it was funny. <laughs> and so then in the evening, Brent came home and I said, Brent, you have to hear what your children <laughs> said to me today. And I, and I told him the story. I said, they said, I was just like Maggie. And he said, why? 
because you eat a lot? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, as a matter of fact, not. So I was completely insulted in two ways. And of course, that made Brent die laughing. (laughs) Remember when he would die laughing just and he couldn't like breathe. He Uh just stopped making any noise at all and his body would just be shaking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That made his day. That that was a good day for you. (laughs) Not such a good day for me. Oh, and okay, so the other thing I want to tell about Brent, this is there are about a million funny stories. Yeah, there's which, some good stories. Yeah, you'll maybe hear later. Um, but the other story is a sweet story about him because he also is a very sweet and loving man. Um, and when I first moved down here, my dad kind of asked Brent to be my Mexican father, which we've talked about before on the podcast, I know. But when Hans and I started dating, Brent called Hans and said, um, we're going to need to have you over for dinner. And we love Becky, but don't bring her with you because we need to have a talk. And Brent like had the the dad. I mean, he took his that role seriously. He Aww. had the dad talk with Aww. Hans about, you know, what are your intentions? <laughs> and we love Becky. And, we, you know, we just want you to know that she has people here that are looking out for her. <laughs> and so that was I always think of that moment and think about how sweet it was yeah. for me. I mean, I wasn't there obviously, but just knowing well, that I've he did heard that from Hans a couple of times that that was really meaningful for him too. Mm-hmm. So that's neat. That's yeah. really, really neat. Yeah. And yeah. And the, well, the first, I mean, you can see how meaningful it was because when he asked me to marry him, the very first place that we got engaged and then we got back in his car and the first place we drove was to your house mm. because he wanted you and Brent to pray for us. That one, he, he wanted that to be the first thing Aww. that we did as an engaged couple. Aww. And so, it, you know, it was Brent had a big impact on, in both of our lives and our marriage. And yeah. he was a good, yeah, That's good guy. Precious. Yeah. Yeah, I have a sweet story about Brent, too. And this happened a million years ago. But um, when we were living in Central California, we were teachers. And I decided, I got it in my mind that I wanted to run a half marathon. But I found a race in Santa Barbara that was a half tri- a half Ironman. So okay. it's a triathlon, everything in in half mm-hmm. and um so I got a team together and someone was gonna swim and someone was gonna bike and then I was gonna do the last leg of it which was running uh-huh. and that's not my strong suit by a long shot <laughs> so I worked really hard I think I put in about a year of work oh, wow. about it yeah and I and it you know it cost me sweat and tears it was just right. really hard And then we got there the day of the race and we got disqualified right away because the gal that was going to do the biking portion was too small for the bike and they wouldn't let her ride it. And so I was so disappointed, but, you know, didn't want to be mean to the girls. So I just kind of went over by myself and... I it might have been crying actually uh-huh. because it was so disappointing Aww. after all that yeah. time. And Brent said, "Well, it's my bike. He had loaned his bike to the girl. He yeah. goes, "It's my bike. I'll ride the bike. I'll ride the bike portion for you." 
And I was like, you haven't done any training. You are not in shape. He goes, that's all right. I'll do what I can. Uh And I go, you don't have the clothes for it. He was wearing like Levi's. Uh He was wearing jeans. And he goes, that's all right. I'll do it. I'll do it. It was 56 miles of bike riding up and down hills, Becky, in Santa Barbara, in jeans, not planning or prepared. Uh And he did it. He said he got off the bike and he walked one small portion up the last part of a hill, but he did the whole thing just so I could compete in wow. the triathlon. Wow. And that has always just struck me as just how loving and generous he was and good to me. Yeah. It, it kind of makes up for the calling me a Maggie <laughs> fa- No, saying that I saying ate eat too a lot. Much. <laughs> uh, I think it also tells us a little bit about his stubbornness. Yeah. He was in in the best way a yeah. stubborn person and he finished that yeah. bike portion of the race. Yeah. For he you. Did it. And yeah. then, you know, after the race was over, when I was dying, he just let me have all the, you know, attention and glory. I can't Aww. imagine his body was feeling very good either. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he was good. Aww. So as you all know, Brent is no longer with us on this earth. And today, um, Allison is going to share a little bit more about their story, specifically from the time Brent was diagnosed with cancer um, to the time that he passed away. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing that more about that story. Um, chronologically. Chronologically, yes. Mm-hmm. And so and getting to kind of live it through your perspective. Yeah. So, Allison, let's start by just telling us um, how Brent was diagnosed, how you guys found out that he had cancer. Yeah, because it was weird how we found out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I shared on here before that he um, was fighting a fire out by Agua Viva and he fell down while he was fighting the fire and had some kind of paralysis for about a minute Mm -hmm. and then was fine. They put him in a car, brought him to me. I was at Agua Viva at the mm-hmm. time. They brought him to me. I took him into the hospital. They thought maybe, we thought maybe he had had a stroke, but they checked him and he did not have any stroke symptoms. And then they thought maybe it was just smoke inhalation that mm-hmm. had caused him to have this problem. So anyway, we went to our primary care doctor in San Diego and he um, listened to his story and he said, I want you to see, I think a neurosurgeon was who he wanted us to see. Mm-hmm. And so the neurosurgeon listened to his story, did some studies on his back and found that he had some problems in some of his discs and that he needed surgery. And so we were headed toward surgery for that problem. On his so back surgery, Back right? surgery, yeah. yes. And so... Um, Right before the surgery, Brent had been, Brent was crazy about studying things Mm -hmm. on the internet. And so um, he had been studying about this back surgery and everyone that needed the back surgery was saying, I was just in excruciating pain before I went Mm -hmm. into the surgery. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't have any pain. I'm feeling like that's not my problem. 
And so we went back to the primary care and he told the story again to the doctor and the doctor heard something different this time in the story that sounded to him like Brent had had a seizure during that Uh um, fire incident. And so he said, I want to do an MRI of your brain. And so we went and had Brent's first MRI found out that he he was one of those folks that had a really hard time with um, claustrophobia in oh. an MRI. So we had to kind of skirt around that issue. But anyway, we got the MRI, MRI done mm-hmm. and they gave it to us in a CD in our hand. Mm-hmm. And we took it out of that and out of that meeting. But meanwhile, we had asked another neurosurgeon to look at Brent to get a second opinion about this surgery. Yeah. And so we went to that second neurosurgeon and he was looking at all of our pictures and then he looked at our MRI and he goes, he kind of scoffed at us and he said, um, you're, you've been trying to trick me. He goes, your problem isn't a back problem. Your problem is a brain problem. And he thought that we already knew the results of the MRI. And we said, well, what do you mean a brain problem? And he said, well, there's a lesion on your brain. Right at that minute, my primary care doctor, while we were in this other appointment, was calling us to tell us what had come over on the MRI. But but I kept putting him, you know, like not receiving the call because it was interrupting our meeting. Anyway, long and short of it is that... The new doctor went out and had a phone call with a primary care doctor, and they realized both at the same time that Brent had a brain tumor, which is what a lesion in the brain is. Mm -hmm. Brent had a brain tumor, and that they realized, they both realized that the way we had just found out was less than pleasant. And so that second guy came back in, and he said, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you didn't know this is a brain tumor. We'll have to biopsy it to see what it is. And so we we just kind of walked out of there in a daze. Yeah. We were totally blown away you by that. You went from back surgery yeah. to brain tumor. Yeah. I kind of thought in the, in the interim period that maybe he had like um, – MS or something. Uh-huh. I just thought something something neurological is happening. Yeah. So we went outside and we sat in the car and we just I think we just kind of looked at each other for a while. We didn't know what to do or think or say and then we started to cry a little bit mm-hmm. and we just went this does not sound good. And um then we, you know, cheered ourselves up and and decided not to worry ahead of time you know and to make an appointment for a biopsy and all that so he got into surgery not too many days later for a biopsy and had we known late that then what we knew later we would have been a lot more careful about that biopsy because when they touch anything in your brain they can trigger reactions in your brain which Mm -hmm. is exactly what happened they they took a piece of his um, tumor out to uh-huh. see if it was cancerous or benign but from then on he started having s- these severe seizures the oh. same thing that had happened the day that he fell in the fire I didn't ever realize that it was the biopsy that triggered that yeah huh. well I mean I think the cancer 
was forcing it to happen, but the yeah. the biopsy like accelerated the process. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And so his his whole left side became it. He was kind of like a stroke victim in a way. His whole left side became weaker, um, less responsive, and and would seize up. It mm-hmm. just really odd times, but especially under stress, mm-hmm. and it would last. 45 seconds or so and and during that time it was very frightening for him it wasn't if he felt completely out of control of his body yeah and um and so that began the process in the hospital they found out that it was cancerous that it was a low-grade cancer and that um they tested it and found out he had a certain mutation and that certain mutation mutation responded really well to certain chemotherapy okay. so they were well, what does low grade mean does that mean slow growing uh-huh. or okay yeah i don't i don't know enough about brain tumors mm-hmm. to give out really scientific answers <laughs> here but it's brain tumors are graded into four mm-hmm. and a grade four brain tumor is the one that usually takes about from the time you find out you might have up to six months to live okay and so he was grade two so he the actual the doctor that did the surgery actually said go home live your life you're going to be fine it's Hmm. a slow growing tumor yeah but the oncologist had a different opinion and he said you need to get right in to chemotherapy and we have the right kind for you and we need to get started So how, as all of this is happening, I mean, it was, I remember when you guys told us it was a shock to, you had all the staff sit down and did a video call with us and, and it was a complete shock to all of us. I can't even imagine the shock that you were going through. How did you come to terms? Kind of how did you react as you were coming to terms with Brent's diagnosis? Uh, I think we reacted all the very normal ways. I remember Mm -hmm. that you know, that very day that we found out and we went out and we cried a minute in the car, then it was, you know, it was way past lunchtime. So we went somewhere and we had lunch and we were sitting across the table with each other, you know, trying to process this thing that had been told to us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we started to cry about our grandchildren that Brent would never see. And, you know, we were, we were, ahead of ourselves because we didn't really know at that point that it was cancerous but mm-hmm. um you know we were grieving already what was yeah. what was yeah. p- potential to come uh-huh. I remember that day because a l- elderly woman came into that restaurant while we were sitting there and she flipped a lid because the wait waiter didn't give her the right type of menu mm-hmm. I don't know what there's like several menus at that restaurant and he did not give her the right one okay and she just was having a cow over that menu being uh-huh. wrong and we turned around and we looked at her we were like tears were running down our face while we were talking we turned around we looked at her and saw that what was making her mad in life and we got the giggles we just started <laughs> laughing and we just go what I would give to have your problem lady yeah you know? really <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. I mean, I think, you know, we just, it wasn't all gloom and doom. It was, uh-huh. we had our same sense of humor. We, 
we had a lot of fun with brain tumor jokes. You know, uh-huh. after Brent had his biopsy, he said, I gave him a piece of my mind, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so, but we were dealing with it. Our kids yeah. were both in college at the time. And so we went and we called our kids and it was really hard for them. And yeah. they came right home for his biopsy and and everything. So it was very hard. It was also very hard because it was right at the end of mm, beginning of May, I think end of April, beginning of May that we found all this out, which is right before the summer at Agua Viva. Yeah. And, you know, he was in charge of everything having to do with the summer. And I was, um, on the docket to take over the directorship of the seminary. Okay. So the most immediate concerns we had were, you know, how do we keep the ministry going? And we had a couple of solutions. They didn't work out great that summer, but, uh, you know, people survived it. So yeah, it was fine. The ministry was, yeah, was fine. yeah. We, the ministry yeah. is solid. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so we walked out of the oncologist office after, after having the biopsy and, and Brent said, I don't, I don't want to do any of those things they just said. And I was dumbfounded because I was all about, you know, following the protocol for what you do. And he said, you have a good mutation and let's get on it. And Brent just said, no, I, I don't, I want to study before I do anything. Mm-hmm. And so he just hunkered down and just became a student of everything having to do with all parts of his particular kind of brain tumor. Yeah. So you walk out of the oncologist's office and your first reaction is we should do, we should do everything he says. And Brent's first reaction is I'm not going to do any of that. How did that make you feel that you and Brent were obviously not in agreement with how to treat his cancer. It was, it was super hard. Um, and I remember thinking he was completely doing it wrong Mm -hmm. and that not only was he doing it wrong, but that it would have terrible result results to do it wrong yeah and um and I kept wanting to in my mind this was all going on in my mind fortunately it wasn't coming out of my mouth which is not typical of me but (laughs) but it was a very you know an intense situation so I was responding a little bit differently and I just thought you know, I was a little bit mad. Like, how can you make such a a choice when the time is of an, of the essence yeah. here? And then I realized, really, when when someone is ill, as much as they can, they really need to make the decisions for their future. Mm-hmm. Um. After a couple of months, Brent really did ask my advice, but in the beginning, he told me he was not going to do it, and he, I could tell that he was firm about it, and 
And somewhere in me, there was the conviction that he had the right to do that for himself. Yeah. But what he did was completely the opposite of everything they told him to do. Huh. He went home, he started researching, he started finding out things about diet, and he started following super strict diet. Mm-hmm. I think in the next few months, he um, lost like 70 pounds or something. Yeah, he, he just, lost a ton of weight. Yeah, he just really um, put himself on a rigid um, discipline, mm-hmm. and he started taking supplements by the tons uh-huh. um, of things that he thought would help him. We started buying all organic food. Mm-hmm. Um, we took a whole bunch of things out of our diet and started eating completely different. It helped me too, actually. <laughs> um, and then he wanted to go to a special... He, he looked into all kinds of special hospitals that would do alternative treatment. Uh-huh. And one, one, one hospital that was close by in Tijuana, we had heard good things about, and they did some kind of like a plasma replacement treatment for their patients mm-hmm. that he really wanted to try out. So we went for two different week-long stays at that hospital in and he had those treatments done. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't have any feeling that he was improving, except that he felt better. Uh-huh. And um, so we just kept on that road for probably the first four or five months. And at the end of those first four or five months, the we went to visit his primary care physician. And that man said, I need to tell you that scientifically, it's not well documented that what you're doing does any good mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. Brains, brain tumors. And if you want to go that route, you can tell me that and I will honor your wishes. Mm-hmm. But I feel the responsibility to tell you that I don't think it's the best route for you. Yeah. And I just thought Brent was just going to walk away from there and say, I don't care. I want to do it the way I want to do it. But he did not. He walked away from there and he said, maybe I should give this a second thought. And that's when he asked my opinion. Okay. And that's when I said I thought he should follow what the doctor said. And um, he decided to do a combination of both. I mm-hmm. think you probably remember that from the time he was diagnosed to the time he died, he was pretty stringent about following a really sh- rigid diet and being yeah. very careful with how he ate and what he ate and when he ate and everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he started on chemotherapy in that fall. This was the fall of 2012. Okay. And. And what, I'm sorry, when was his diagnosis? How much time? His diagnosis was the beginning of May. Of 2012. Okay. Uh So this was about five months later or so, five or six months. He started taking the chemotherapy. And um, his, I think his cancer was the size of a quarter or a golf ball or something Mm -hmm. when he started and then by the end of his chemotherapy it had grown five times as big they thought it was as big as an orange at that time and he had been talking all along the way with people that um 
did brain surgeries and asking them if they thought he was a good candidate for brain surgery. Mm-hmm. And everyone said no because his um, tumor was right on his motor strip. And so if he if they damaged the motor strip at all, it would, you know, leave him paralyzed. Yeah. And we knew what that would look like because we knew what he looked like when he was having seizures. Right. And so um, we just thought it was inoperable cancer. And in spite of this wonderful chemotherapy that was supposed to just work wonders with his mutation of cancer, Mm -hmm. it was growing at a really fast rate. And we rented a cabin that, that winter, that Christmas, and... My sister and my mother were both convinced that Brent was about to die. And I got a present from Brent that Christmas. We bought ourselves a Vitamix. Do you know what a Vitamix is? <laughs> yes. One of those powerful blenders. Yeah. Because he wanted to do all of his special drinks and everything in it. And he wrote me, he bought a book to go with it. And he wrote me a dedication in the front of that book. And mm-hmm. basically, he was saying goodbye to us. He wow. was. It was the saddest thing really one of the saddest things in all our years of dealing with his cancer uh-huh. that that moment where he came to terms with the fact that he was not gonna long for this earth right and and we were re- very sad somewhere in there our um local church here in Ensenada started had a 24-hour fast for him uh-huh. and then were you involved in that yeah and yeah. then um and then after that, kind of divided up days between the people of the church and people fasted for him on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And um, so all this was going on. By Christmas time, we thought he was not long for this earth. It was sad. And then he went and got a new MRI and found out that because the tumor had grown so much, it had moved the motor strip enough out of the way that they thought they could operate. Uh-huh. And we really took that as a miracle of God. And even yeah. now looking back on it, even though he lost his life in the end, I feel like those extra years, that was a miracle. From yeah. God. You guys got several good years in oh. there. And so in January, we went and um, we lived in San Francisco for about four or five months so Mm -hmm. that he could get his brain surgery done at UCSF. Uh And that the brain surgery was super successful. They thought they got a, they were hoping to get 50% of the tumor out and they got like 90% of the tumor out. And it just really isn't possible with with his kind of cancer to get out everything right. because it grows in between good um, brain matter. But they got so much out and they were so pleased. Everybody mm-hmm. was so happy. His oncologist, his surgeon, everybody. And um, and we really saw him improve. Yeah, he got a he got a lot better yeah. after that surgery. Yeah, he started walking mm-hmm. better. He, I think, physically and emotionally, yeah, just healing. a really, yeah. really miraculous time. It was sweet. So Brent had the surgery, and they got ninety percent of the tumor. What was his? Did they give you a life expectancy for him after that surgery happened, or did his life expectancy change? How much did it change? I guess is what I'm trying to yeah, ask. Yeah. Um. Well. <laughs> 
the thing is, he had this surgery. They what they took out, they tested again in mm-hmm. their lab, and it turns out that the second time it got tested, or at this later date when it got tested, yeah. it was now a grade three tumor. Okay. And so the oncologist was right away a little disappointed about that. She mm-hmm. said that's a nastier, that's a n- more aggressive cancer. Yeah. So we don't like that. And Brent said all the time, Brent would say, how much time do you think I have? And she would say, she would give a rough estimate but really what mattered was how long they could keep the tumor from growing again okay from beginning to grow again okay so at any point in time while this is happening did you guys decide okay we need to start kind of checking things off of our bucket list did you ever start just doing things so you were able to do them while he was here and and mostly healthy yeah, I mean, in a way we did. I don't think we ever made a bucket list because Brent Brent had an attitude like, I'm going to fight this, Allison. Mm-hmm. I mean, he told me that a, a couple of times. I'm going to fight this, Allison. And um, I didn't always love that um, point of view mm-hmm. because I didn't know if it was possible to fight it. But... Um, again, it was his choice to make and it was my choice to support him or not support him, you know? And so, um, I, I tried to be supportive, but what we did do is we, we said, let's go out and live. Mm -hmm. You know, every time they say, you know, you're free to go live your life, do what you can you know, as long as you can, Mm -hmm. then let's just do that. And so we walked out of that time in San Francisco, um, trying to figure out things with Agua Viva and get Agua Viva in a good place. That took, you know that, that it took about a year and a half or more after that before, um, we, separated from Agua Viva and Agua Viva found someone new. Right. But that was probably the biggest thing on any kind of bucket list was to not have anything happen to him while it was in limbo land, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so by the end of 2014, we had separated and mm-hmm. Agua Viva had new leadership and um, so I think the second thing probably on our bucket list was to start spending whatever years we had left doing what we really, really wanted to do. Not that we didn't love Agua Viva. We loved Agua Viva. Yeah. But when you're in a ministry like that, you have a bunch of required activities uh-huh. and you don't get to choose which ones you love and which ones you don't love. Right. Um, but spinning off from there we could uh, dedicate the time and resources that we had to doing the things that were really our sweet spot and our sweet spot was going and being with our different um, 
missionary people out mm-hmm. in different parts of Mexico. Yeah. And so we just went and did that, and we were so happy. That was in 2015 that we started our new ministry. Okay. And so I think that was a super big moment for, for Brent and, and for me, too. We just kind of felt um, positive and yeah. like, yes, this is the right place to be. And God is, we felt God um, like supporting us and uh-huh. backing that up yeah. at that time. It was... There was a, that was a really good year. 2015 was a really uh-huh. good year. 2016, we um, in about April, we got the news that the tumor has started growing again. So how many how, how many good years did you have? Or I I guess I shouldn't call them good years. How many years did you have where Brant was on the healthier side? Um. We had 2013, 2014, 2015, okay. and a part of 2016, like, okay. like half of 2016. Okay. So I would say, you know, a good three, four years in yeah. there that were yeah. really trouble-free, really, uh-huh. really kind of trouble-free. Sweet, sweet yeah. years for really you and sweet. Brent. Yeah. yeah, super sweet. Super good moments to reflect on our life, our life together, our yeah. life as a marriage, our life as a family, our life in ministry, mm-hmm. to go back and rectify any gr- regrets that we had. Mm-hmm. I Gosh, remember what that a, being what a gift yeah, to have that time together. Such a gift, such a gift. And um, we had some um, time with some counsel, some marriage counselors mm-hmm. who then helped us lead marriage counseling, um, a kind of a course in Ensenada, and that mm-hmm. was really sweet. Just some really sweet things happened yeah. during those years. 2016, he found out that the the brain tumor was growing again. Okay. And then by about fall of 2016, he had to start some really stringent um, chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and that year was also still really good and into 2017 was really good but with these bad like one week out of every six weeks you know Mm -hmm. really really bad chemotherapy yeah yeah and so I don't call that a real good year but it wasn't a terrible year either Uh yeah and Brent um Brent got to we got to follow along with Justin and Rosita's love story during that uh-huh. time. And they, you know, got to spend time together again and fell in love with each other and, and got engaged. And then we got all the, you know, wedding planning and a really good wedding. Yeah. And the wedding a was... really good wedding. Yeah, super good wedding. And it the wedding was in the summer of 2017. And I remember... In those moments, thinking that life was just about as perfect as mm, life could get. You know, uh-huh. we were just all the way around. His health was good. Yeah. It looked like the new rounds of chemotherapy had been good for him. He was now off of that hard chemotherapy. It was all really, really good. Mm-hmm. Super, super sweet time for us. And then. And then. <laughs> and then. 
um, at the end of the summer in 2017, he started having all these different things. He had a stomach, bad stomach infection and yeah. a bad um, sinus infection. And then he got this weird rash, weird, weird rash. And he took a picture of it and he sent it to his oncologist and his oncologist knew right away that it was shingles. Uh. And he just had this terrible case of shingles. Uh. And the shingles went into his eyes and uh. it was just bad. It was a bad case. And then he got another case of shingles. Uh -huh. And then it just, those were probably the darkest days up until that point. Yeah. You know, it was a very hard time for us and he was in a great deal of during that time and we we had been living in this limbo place where we were believing that life was just kind of going to go on the same yeah. and then all these things started happening we started realizing that that wasn't going to be the case mm -hmm. Brent, stubborn, stubborn, <laughs> stubborn man that he was, just kept doing everything he needed to do and yeah. kept trying. And he'd go to physical therapy and try to get use of his left side uh -huh. back. You know, that started to weaken again. He started getting more seizures again. Um, just a number of things in a row happened. And by Christmas time of 2017, he really was having a very hard time walking. I remember on Christmas Day, he fell like three or four times uh, uh -huh. and we'd be having these wonderful Christmas moments and then he would stand up with or without a walker with or without a cane yeah. and just tilt and not be able to get himself straightened back up mm -hmm. and um just after Christmas he got an uh, like a chest cold uh -huh. And by New Year's, it was pneumonia, and he was in the hospital. His body just couldn't fight anything off yeah. at that point. Yeah. And probably the tumor was growing a great deal by yeah. then. But we, I think, I think I recall that we had, for whatever reason, some MRIs got canceled in there, so we weren't having super okay. good um, follow through on what was happening with this tumor, uh -huh. but. We thought we were going to lose him. We totally thought we were going to lose him in January mm -hmm. with that pneumonia. It was so bad. And I want to add something in here that has been a part of my journey that the more I go on and the more I listen to other people's journeys with mm -hmm. cancer, I see it's a much bigger part than than people really talk about. I think it's because we don't feel free to talk about it. So with your permission. Yes, <laughs> I think I think you absolutely should talk about it. Yeah, with the permission of our listeners, I just want to kind of delve into this thing that was happening. First of all, I want to say that for about five years before Brent got cancer, he wasn't behaving very kindly uh -huh. he didn't have patience with us and sometimes his impatience was almost um without reason like unreasonable uh -huh. impatience uh -huh. 
And I kept thinking during those years, something is so wrong, but I can't identify what it is and I don't know what to do about it. And so when they told us that he had brain cancer, my feeling was that he had had it growing in his brain for a while and that it was affecting him in ways that we weren't aware of. None of us were aware of, not even him. Yeah. And was affecting his behavior. Mm hmm. And so there was a little tiny bit of relief for me to find out that there was something there and it was causing this stuff to happen. Yeah. So um, so those so those years, especially after the brain surgery where he got the relief of that inflammation in his brain. Yeah. Those were some really sweet years. It was kind of like you got the the old Brent back yeah. again. Yes. And it was super sweet, and I, it, it was super sweet for him, too. Yeah. But when 2017, 2018 started, started happening, um, we, I started to see, again, a change in him. Mm-hmm. One thing that I saw, and it was actually a little bit humorous, was... He went into the hospital here in Ensenada for pneumonia, Mm -hmm. and they let me stay on a bed all night long. And so I stayed there for the full week and a half or whatever that he was there. And I was with him 24-7. I helped with every part of it. Um, I remember I didn't take showers a couple of times during the week. I I sneaked showers in his private bathroom, Uh but I think I wasn't (laughs) supposed to do that. So I never let it show that it had happened. (laughs) Um, But people would come bring me food at the hospital and I would go down when they came and Uh I would eat the food for about 20 minutes and they would go up and visit with Brent during those 20 minutes. Well, during one of those sessions, Mm -hmm. little Rosita, Justin's wife, was was watching him and he said to her Allison is leaving me oh no and she said what and he said she leaves me and he go she said well does she is she going down to eat dinner or Uh you know what do you mean or is she leaving you leaving you and he gave her a look and he said both things and and she came down telling me this and she was you know, chuckling, I was a little bit dying because she's the daughter of my pastors. <laughs> and I certainly didn't want her to go back and tell her pa- my pastors that, that I was neglecting <laughs> my husband in his hour of need. <laughs> and so I was a little frightened. Well, she did go back and tell her parents laughing, laughing, laughing. Can you believe that Brent said this about? Well, Allison? yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody knew there was not he was not neglected for one single moment. And my pastors laughed and laughed yeah. and laughed with her. And when I knew that everybody was taking it with a grain of salt, then I was okay. But it it seems to me, especially in brain tumors, mm-hmm. that's what I can speak to more clearly. Yeah. But in other cancer patients as well, and and in my mom who didn't have cancer, mm-hmm. um, people that are coming toward the end of their life obviously they're suffering so much and they're carrying so much. I don't know if it's just emotional or it's emotional plus physical, Uh but what I do know is, is I experienced that 
this person that I lived with for the last six months of his life was not anyone that I knew. Hmm. And he was impatient about things and he was unreasonable about things. It was kind of what we had seen before we knew he had had cancer, Uh but to a very exaggerated extreme. Right. And he was, it was hard. Those were hard months and it was hard um, when he would say things that made him angry or made him hurt to know how to respond because right. it wasn't rational. Um, he, for a long time, he, for example, he, well, right after the hospital experience, he started having a lot of problem with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't sleep at night and not sleeping at night made everything worse in the day. Right. And he just was... He just, he, he would sit up for a while and then he would think he needed to lie down and then he Uh would lie down and he thought he needed to sit up and, you know, he, he just didn't know what to do himself. He was really filled with anxiety and he wanted those of us around him to fix it for him. He wanted us to notice that he was having this hardship and, and make it right for him and that's just the most helpless feeling because yeah. there's nothing that's an impossible you can do task. to change yeah. it for the person and so i i want to mention it not because i want to tell anything bad on brent really the way i take it and the way i took it then was that this is not brent this is a disease right but i want to mention it because people that i know that are dealing with cancer or have dealt with cancer are dealing with a lot of um, guilt and grief about the things that were said during the last months yeah. or whatever. And it really, really hurts. And it really hurts if you're watching a friend of yours care for a sick person, watching how the sick person reacts to your friend, you know, it makes you feel protective of them. Yeah. So I just want to say that I, my personal feeling is that that is a part of dying. Mm -hmm. A part of dying is reacting to the dying in maybe unpleasant ways. Yeah. And maybe lashing out those around you. And I haven't had to do it yet. I can imagine knowing Brent's sweet spirit and my feisty spirit (laughs) that I will be harder to deal with than he will was ever but I want to share that because I want people to know that um your your person does still really love you mm-hmm. and it's not the person seeing those mean yeah, things it's not the person it's not them yeah no no and and forge on and do the yeah. right thing and love your person and you know, it's all comes down to that agape love, that mm. the, the love that isn't about you mm-hmm. and doesn't pay as much attention to your needs as to the other person's needs. Yeah. And that was those were hard, hard lessons for me, Becky. I like being the center of attention. <laughs> I like being the one that gets taken care of. So, um, you know, good, good and hard lessons. But anyway, his his health never got better Mm -hmm. after that and he went through a series of different hospital stays and a nursing home stay that was very unpleasant um and then we got the 
the last MRI that said that the cancer had come back, get him into hospice, um, call us if you need anything, but we've done as much as we can do. And then, then you got to come home at that point in yes. time, right? That day was a kind of a sweet day, actually, because Brent walked out of that MRI saying, I want I just want to go home. Mm. I just want to be with my people. If yeah. that's my lot in life, I'm just going to accept it and, and go toward that, but in my own place. Yeah. So we came back to Mexico where hospice does not exist, but we have a very dear doctor that we love in our church. And he came and did, um, basic palliative care. Uh-huh. Um, I wouldn't call it hospice care. Um, that's not a, great concept here in Mexico makes me a little bit sad but it was better to be home than not at home right and so we were able to like gather around him and sing to him and pray over him and have people in our house hugging on him and loving him and um we came home I think toward the end of April um and he went we were in a wedding no that's not true we came home at the beginning of April and we were in a wedding together mm-hmm. on April 14th on April 15th he tried to go to church but he didn't last the whole service for uh-huh. the that was the last time he went to church okay. and um, by May 15th I think on May 15th, 14th he said his last words out loud and then on June 10th he passed and so those were some long couple of months in there where yeah. we saw him go from a walking talking person Mm -hmm. albeit you know his slow and careful way by that time to to not being with us anymore Mm -hmm. on this earth but Emily and I were in the room with him when he died he died on a Sunday morning Mm just as church was starting and both Justin and Rosita were in the praise band that Mm -hmm. day and we debated he died right at 928 and church started at 930 yeah and so we said what do we do and we just said we have to tell them we have to tell them so Emily called Justin and they were up up in front were you there that day yeah I was there I remember seeing them walk what what was that the two of them walked off the stage and and we just knew it everybody everybody just knew it Yeah. yeah and the doctor plays on our praise band and he was the pianist that day Uh and so he walked off the stage as well because he had to come and um do the declaration or whatever of the legal stuff yeah yeah. um and not long after that i think pastor left i know the pastor's wife left and came to be with us and the pastor left so anyway it was but we were able to all stand around him that day Mm -hmm. and say thank god thank god for giving us this man and thank god for taking him home by the time he went home it was time yeah and i think he was ready too he had gotten to the point where he was ready yeah and i think i might have mentioned before but it's really one of my favorite stories is that um the last day i did get to talk to him i said brent do you feel like you're coming toward the end and he shook his head yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you feel afraid? And he said, no. Aww. And I said, Jesus has you by the hand. Do you know that? And he said, yes. 
And he said it emphatically. Mm-hmm. So I know that he felt it in his heart. We were alone when he said it. I know he could have said anything to me and it would have been fine. You know, he didn't have to lie. Right. I could tell that that was really what was going on in him. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful mm. that for the reassurance that Jesus is there in those moments. And I'm really thankful for the knowledge that Brent was able to sense that he was there in those moments. So, um, another day I'd love to talk about what happens after your person dies, but that, that was our story. And, um, I just can't even tell you how grateful I am for those years that he, um, that we had together to yeah. kind of go through that and have our sweetest moments, really. Yeah, your story is a hard story, but there's um, so many sweet moments sprinkled throughout it that you can just see God's hand in it all. Yeah, And I think that that is such a blessing for all of the rest of us watching it happen to see how God was um, so sweet and kind to you guys in the midst of the hurting and the suffering and and how you and both you and Brent remained faithful to God throughout your that whole process was a blessing for the rest of us to watch I feel like we felt like you know to walk away from God would just have been the worst thing in the world you know like we needed him so much during that time Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm a changed person I'm a really changed person in the sense that I felt really inept when people were going through a really hard and tragic time Mm -hmm. to speak to them. Like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it. And I feel like now, having gone through it, um, of course, it gives me an in, but also just having gone through it helps me see how normal pain and tragedy Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. and how normal people are that are going through pain and tragedy and that it's really just normal to just talk to them about it. Um, Sometimes you have to be a little more careful how you talk to them, but it's, it's just the same as saying, you know, I, I heard you broke your arm. How's that going? Mm Mm-hmm. I heard you got a cancer diagnosis. How's that going? Tell me about it. And it's okay. It's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. And just, it's also okay to say, I don't know what to say to you. I just love you. And people did the best things for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for all those lessons learned too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for sharing that part of your story. And at some point in time, we're going to do an episode talking about what came next, what happened after Brent passed away and the grieving process that you and your family went through. So um, watch out for that. It'll be coming up sometime soon. And remember, love crosses cultures. See you next time. If you like what you listen to, please subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Two American Peas and a Mexican Pod. Look for a new podcast to release every other Monday. And remember, love crosses cultures.